Hello, Blenders. On this week's show, it's James Bond week on Real Blend. We are reviewing No Time to Die with Cinema Blend's expert Mike Reyes joining us, and writer-director Carrie Joji Fukunaga is this week's guest. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 185 of Real Blend, a podcast with a license to pun. My name is Sean O'Connell, <laughs> the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, uh, and on this week's show, it is James Bond week uh, on Real Blend. We're going to have reviews of No Time to Die with a very special guest. Cinema Blend's uh, Bond expert, Mike Reyes, is going to be joining us later in the show as we talk No Time to Die. And the guest is Kerry Fukunaga, the director of No Time to Die. Uh, he joined us for a exclusive interview regarding all things Bond and his uh, his first chapter and Daniel Craig's final chapter. So uh, we're going to have a lot to dive into. And by we, I mean Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, Jake. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Uh, not dressed nearly as spiffy as Kevin McCarthy <laughs> of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. I love that color on you, Kev. That looks great. great. Color. Thank you. License to pun is so perfect. And I, I and I know we'll get into this later in the show when we talk about the movie. Yeah. But there are some incredible <laughs> James Bond puns. There are some good like, ones. Like, I, I honestly think real blend listeners, like because we do so many puns on the show, it, it, it's, it's going to connect a little bit. Those puns were, those puns were pretty, uh, pretty out there. I also, I blew the joke uh, because Gabe wrote me the, jo- Gabe wrote that joke. Uh, it was a good Great one. Joke. And I was supposed to say blend real blend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty I'm good. S- still glad you said it though. Thanks. It, actually, it, yeah. it is good. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. did. Yeah, got a laugh. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube to see Kevin's handsome outfit. Uh, hello. Thank you for joining us here on the visual aspect of the podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe and turn on your notifications. We've had a lot of people who are joining us lately due to um, interviews with Mike Flanagan and Andy Circus. So we appreciate you guys growing that youtube page if you are listening to us where you get your podcast needs met thank you very much of course uh, have you signed up for real blend premium this is a ad-free version of the show 
uh, that you get through the premium membership. You also get an extra segment every Monday where we play some type of fun game uh, and a newsletter. Oh, I'm going to write a newsletter this week. So um, go to cinemablend.com backslash real blend premium to sign up for that. And also, I want to let you guys know that there's a bonus episode of the show this week. We had an interview, standalone interview with uh, Julia Ducournu, who uh, her film Titan won the Palm Door, not the Tom Door. <laughs> Palm Door uh, this year and is uh, it's an interesting film and this is a fascinating conversation I didn't get to do it Jake and Kevin did the interview this time and so I got to listen to it as a fan and Kev you're right listening to her talk about the Warner made me want to instantly go back and rewatch it because what about the way the, well, you, you didn't get to the no scene did you the, the way she explains how she does there's a scene where um, a, a woman breaks her own nose against a porcelain sink yes and and I would like you to at least see that scene and then listen to her talk about it. Um, yeah, to, to go between the two. Really, the, lit- the literal <laughs> thought process. Uh, it, what's interesting is like the, it's the thought process that she went through. Um, uh, that that interview is really cool. Jake and I did it. Uh, definitely check it out on mm-hmm. on our feeds. Uh, it was a bonus episode, and uh, yeah, that movie is pretty is pretty wicked. So <laughs> uh, we have a couple of other interesting um, interviews coming together, uh, starting with Carrie Fukunaga. That's going to be on the show in a bit. So let's get to the weekly poll because this is James Bond focused. And Kevin, I'm going to throw this one to you. Uh, the question was, what has been your favorite era of James Bond films? Um, I want your answer first. Yeah, okay. What's been your favorite era of James Bond films? Well, I have no problem saying this. Daniel Craig is my favorite Bond. And I've go. been saying that in my interviews. I mean it. He's just, I, you know, for me, it's and that's one of the questions I was asking in my junket interviews was like one day these movies like his Craig films will be classic films like you know like like you go back and you watch connery and roger moore you're watching the older classic bonds like and it's interesting to think that one day these five will also be like all a classic five, set of bonds. all five of them well, no, well i'm talking classic in the sense of like just like it's an older bond i mean quantum solace definitely not um but no time to die has some amazing moments um but uh i i love daniel craig so that my it's my favorite era i've you know even though i don't like quantum solace as much i've gotten a little more respect for specter after revisiting it no time to die has enough greatness in it um that it's worth seeing and then obviously Skyfall and, and Casino Royale are just out of this world. So that's so, my favorite era. All right. So for the choices in the poll, we gave people Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Daniel Craig, and then other. So other would be your Timothy Daltons, your Pierce, Pierce. Brosnan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. I'm surprised I, Pierce wasn't an option, um, which it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but because I feel like so many people that listen to our show are of the age that Pierce was likely their introduction into Bond. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree 100%. But who would I have replaced? Would I replace Roger Moore? Roger Moore. Because so. you only get three Right. And then choices. do other. Yeah, I would say. I, I would say. You replace replaced. Roger Moore? I'm not saying that Roger Moore is better than right. Pierce. I'm just saying that for a lot of people, at least I, like the first Bond sure. movie I ever saw was GoldenEye. So Same. like, even yeah. though I'm not like outside of GoldenEye, I'm not a massive fan of the Pierce Brosnan movies. I, the, uh, he has a soft spot in my heart because he was my introduction to the character. Sure. Yeah. So, I, I'm sorry. Give Kevin. me the three. Give me, give, no, give me the give me the three again that you're on the, on the list. Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Daniel Craig, and then other. So, where do you think the people went? Well, I mean, I mean Connery just passed, and I feel like, and I'm not saying that's why they would have chosen him, but he's been on our minds a lot recently. He did just pass. 
he's arguably most people's favorite Bond. I mean, sure. every time I ask somebody that, when I tell someone Daniel Craig's my favorite Bond, they're like, they think I'm crazy. I'm like, no, I just absolutely think Skyfall is a masterpiece and he's the it's the best Bond. Um, but I'm going to go Connery just because I just feel like that's the general consensus. Well, Daniel Craig won the poll. And, oh and, yeah, and that's probably what like, I would have thought. I would have thought I like that. And he got 007 percent. No, I'm only kidding. He got 68 percent of the votes. Sixty-eight. I'm curious as to how you because because I know we we're gonna have Mike Reyes on the show who is an encyclopedia of all things James Bond. But I I really think a lot of people out there haven't seen as many of the old Bonds as we think they have. That's right. fair. Right. That's fair. Well, and these yeah. I, it's also worth noting these polls take place on YouTube and Twitter. So yeah. like it's you that it's a, it's a segment of a segment sure. of sure. people true. that use those platforms. It doesn't yeah. feel like there is as much of a pressure to fill Daniel Craig's shoes as the next Bond as there has been on other people who it was like I couldn't imagine trying to follow up Connery. Um, Roger Moore kind of aged out of the part, but when Timothy Dalton got, I think people were really excited for him to get it. And same with Brosnan. Like people have been saying for years that Brosnan should have gotten it, and then when he finally did get it, it was like, oh great! I think that's why Goldeneye plays so well. But then he ended up getting shafted on his other movies. His other movies are just not good. Oh, we just going to talk about George? George Lazenby. I guess so. Well, we'll 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 let Mike talk about that one because I know Mike loves the one film that he was in. What is interesting though is Goldeneye is is Brosnan's only it's only his only great bond but I think Goldeneye is one of, one of the best bonds of all time oh, it's good um, and like and like it's again it's interesting uh, Brosnan's films will be looked at as classic bond films at one point as well like Goldeneye sure. is, Gold, is Goldeneye now like in that grouping of like you go back well I guess now we're just we're too far we're too close to it maybe like 20 they're, years they're all now. reflective of an era they're, they're yeah. all like yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. mirrors to society at that moment yeah. particularly sure. yeah. like but like pre and post Cold War uh, yeah. really I think shifts bond and that's, again that's these are all things that Mike can weigh in on personally I think the Connery era is iconic and and that set the stage but I think that the the love for those is more um, a reverence for the era and sort of the nostalgia of it yeah and not that they're they're fantastic films that still hold up right but they're um, classic sure. in a sense of they're what classic they in a sense. they're they're right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think definitively of all the bonds Craig's Bond, Craig's era of films, even the bad ones, are a step above the rest in in kind of um, the filmmaking quality, the sort of uh, uh, the intensity of the plot and even how the character like a lot of the other Bonds are sort of reduced to gimmicks and stuff, which is fun. They're very fun. Like the Brazen stuff is fun. Um, But you know what's interesting? Craig Craig movies, I think, are the first ones that went out of their way to hire better directors yes oh, with, and, with all due and, respect to the other directors well uh, yeah well, but, well, but to be fair Martin one Campbell. of the craig, yeah i was saying one of the craig directors was a past bond director so martin For campbell sure. did goldeneye and casino sure. royale which is cool. but i think casino royale and, and the craig um era came about when hollywood films in particular were all moving towards the gritty realism dark night yeah. you know sure sure, sure. everything Very was true. kind of moving in that direction yeah. and I, that was a natural thing for them to try with James Bond and it works really works. Um, yeah. One, one man who has helped shape the direction of uh, Bond for at least one. You're about to introduce Mike. No, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, wow, that's excessive. Not at all. Mike does not get to go before Kerry Fukunaga. Kerry Fukunaga directed a Bond film uh, and was nice enough to join the Real Blonde podcast to talk about No Time to Die. So stop listening to us and listen to Kerry Fukunaga talk about No Time to Die here in the Real Blonde podcast. 
I think that the second most important thing for a Bond movie beyond who's playing Bond um, is who is who is going to direct the film. And so when you're a filmmaker who ends up in contention to potentially direct a Bond movie, I'm just super curious what those conversations are like. What are they looking for you as uh, as a filmmaker? What do you say to them to almost pitch yourself to say that, like, yes, I'm sort of worthy of this mantle? And what is that like? Uh, thankfully, I, I didn't have to pitch myself. I think I'd be really bad at having to say, like, here's why you should hire me. Um, uh, yeah, thankfully the, the conversations with Barbara Broccoli and, and Michael G. Wilson were conversations. We sat down in Barbara's home and she told me, you know, what they'd been working on and she showed me some outlines and what they hoped to accomplish with this film and some ideas for characters and a potential ending. Um, and, and then I, I just sort of spitballed literally with them and, and didn't really have to say like, you know. Here's why I'm the right guy for the job, because uh, I've always struggled with that, even since like college, having to write like, you know, statements of purpose. <laughs> you know, Carrie, this is one of the few films in, in, in cinema history that shot with 65 millimeter IMAX cameras, which is incredible. I mean, you got films like obviously Nolan's movies with Dunkirk and Interstellar and Dark Knight. Obviously, Brad Bird used it for Ghost Protocol. Uh, uh, Linus, uh, your, your DP, used it on First Man. That one four three is a very special thing to see. Like, and there's nothing more massive or immersive than seeing that on the biggest screen. So, I wanted to ask you, what was your first and or favorite experience you had in like a seventy millimeter IMAX one four three movie, uh, and what did it mean to you to actually be able to shoot on that format? Oh, man, I mean, I obviously saw lots of documentaries. I remember going to the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum and seeing, you know, that that ten to one scale. Uh, uh, movie about the universe with Morgan Freeman narrating it. But then in, in, in terms of the cinema, I'm wondering what, if, if it was Batman, um, uh, was it Dark Knight or was it, um, was the one with, with Heath Ledger called? Yeah. Dark yeah, Knight. Dark Knight. Knight. Yeah, yeah. It was Dark Knight. I think that with that bank heist scene in the beginning, I think that was the first time I was conscious of yeah. like the IMAX, you know, opening up. The frame. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's, and obviously, I was sold as a viewer. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I think that's one of the best openings to a film ever. That 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 bank heist. Uh, but yeah. um, you know, having worked with it now, uh, having seen our screen tests and looking at the negative and the projection and, and seeing what it looked like, it's just like I would love to shoot on that format. You know, we went to Linus and I went to IMAX in the fall uh, before Linus came out for pre-production, fall of 2018, and we went to look at a bunch of comparison of films that they had done on IMAX. We saw ones that were shot digitally. We shot, saw ones that were shot on, on five perf and then also on 15 perf and different versions of projection laser awesome. and, and standard. And as soon as you saw like the, the film projections of the IMAX, it's just, it's incomparable. And it's one of those things that you can only really realize, especially for people who aren't used to the difference. Um, in person, you know, you have a lot of people that watch their TV with the settings set to sports, and they have no idea why their their movies look like telenovelas all of a sudden. Yeah, so. Well, I can't wait to see the one four three. I know you haven't seen it that way yet either, which is I crazy. It's I can't yeah. wait. So. I, I just can't believe we have a podcast where we have a Bond director on talking about how awesome Batman is. Like this blows my mind yeah. to see him exist. You know, you and I spoke yesterday about you know you you had those certain beats and those certain traditions that you you really have no choice. You have to include in a Bond film. You know the Bond James Bond and Martini shaking out stirred. And but I'm curious if all the traditions that you knew you had to put in, which one was the hardest to wrap your brain around in terms of how you can make it your own. 
home because you don't want to just throw it in there. You know it's going to be a moment. But which one did you have the hardest time sort of making unique so that it was special to this film? Um, I, maybe the opening, you know, because I think there's so much expectation on the opening of a Bond film and there's so much expectation on the ingenuity of like whatever the stunt work or the extreme sports motivation for the, the, <laughs> the, the action is in the beginning. And it was just like, I remember kind of hitting a wall with it and realizing like, what, why are we trying to like top it by, why are we going at this from backwards? You know, why is it about the stunt? Why isn't it more just about what's driving the story here? You know, and I'd kind of forgot myself for a second, like, wait, the whole point of the action is that it's supporting the, nar the narrative. So once um, uh, the cold opening became the story that Madeline told Inspector and the introduction of the villain was brought in there, and then, then the opening really became about how do we show the audience that this is tying up what happened to Casino Royale with Vesper and Mr. White and Madeline and now villain that's attached to, to Madeline and how all is this going to come to head and how Blofeld and Spectre has also tied into it and then make it something that's <laughs> surprising and, and in some ways, you know, think, thinking we know where this is heading and then obviously deeper in the film, uh, once again, uh, undermining that expectation. So... Uh, it really all just became about you know an escape, you know you know for your for for an escape from from an impossible situation, and then let it be that, and not try too hard to be something unique or different just to be unique or different. Just make the 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 tension and the drama the driving force. I think my favorite part of the opening really is that scene where the the car is just being shot up in that hail of bullets, and the camera is just really patiently in the car with them. And we're not doing anything crazy. We're just experiencing the danger. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, Carrie, you come into a franchise here where Daniel's now, this is on his fifth one. Uh, I, I mean, no disrespect to you, but arguably, I think he knows the character better than you do, probably. So what's the hardest part no um, about giving direction? <laughs> <laughs> so what's the most difficult part about giving direction to an actor uh, who, by this point, probably knows more about it? If you see something that you would like to go after or if something isn't working, what's that like? Um, well, if I see something that's not that, that I'm noticing, I mean, my, my job there is to just look, look for details, look for things that, that are going to pull a, a viewer out of the moment, um, looking for mm. a way to make sure that there's a seamless move from shot to shot to shot that, that just feels like you're, you're being propelled through a story. Uh, and uh, I think... Uh, there's probably a misconception that directors feel the need to impose their will on every moment. And a lot of times, you know, we're dealing with, with great actors is once the script's done and you've discussed what's happening, there's actually much more of a, a release of what's happening. And if, if anything, you, you might guide or adjust, but you're not there to, to like stomp on the performance. You're just there to, to observe and make sure everyone's in the same film. You know, Carrie, I love the horror element almost of the opening of the movie. But when we get to that scene that you just mentioned uh, with the car and the bullets are pummeling the windows and then obviously we have the spinning shot with the guns. Uh, I just want to geek out with you about that scene because it was one of the first scenes I saw. It feels so practical and it feels so immersive and I just want to know what was actually happening on the day. Were you really firing at the windows? What were the actors experiencing? And then when it was spinning, were the bullets really like kind of coming out of the car? Like how much of that is practical? Almost all of it's practical. So the smoke's practical. Yes. The, the the casings are practical. You know, Chris Corbell came up with this whole system that that the the miniguns. Uh, you know, the, the I forget what caliber we ended up using for the minigun, but you know, the, those cases are just coming right out the air vents on the side That's of the DB5. Cool. That's that. You know, we set up a camera 
just so that we can get that you know that those things flying out that's um, awesome um <laughs> uh and then for the windows being shot same thing we have this um these rigs that essentially shoot pellets at the glass and it's 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 oh. a very slow process right so you get a take it's going to take 30 minutes to replace the ga- the glass and do it again so you oh, really God, have to make yeah, sure you get right. it right and the actors you know you, you know Leia and Daniel have to play it right and it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a lot of pressure because because there's a lot of there's often a tendency in movies now to say like we're just going to do that as VFX and we'll do 17 takes and move on and uh no we had it we had to do it in one or two takes because we just didn't have the time um, that's crazy. Yeah, that was a wow. that, that was a fun one to do, and obviously the DB5 is a beautiful but very compact car, so very difficult to get you know the the sixty five mil cameras inside of it. But we managed. <laughs> so that wow. scene is one of the ones that goes to the one four three. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. Oh, oh. Yo, I can't wait to see. It. I'm, yeah, I'm going to the. There's a theater near me that plays an IMAX later. I'm going for that scene amazing. alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean the whole the most. There's a few times we use five perf in that scene simply because I wanted to get the dialogue of the day and not not have to ADR it. And we do that mm-hmm. I yeah. think in Norway too. But uh, most of it was shot on the on the the four three cameras, you know. And it's like God. we just dealt with the sound. I mean, those things literally they sound like coffee grinders as they're going. <laughs> yeah wow that's, that's awesome. awesome that's awesome um, carrie i want to talk about james bond daniel craig running down the alley his last shot as james bond ever to what degree you were talking about uh, being a director and you're observing to what degree were you being a director of that moment and to what degree were you just a fan getting the chance to watch movie history and how difficult was it to say cut the last time I mean, I was—I would definitely say I was just much more of a, a fan in that moment because it's, it's, it's not—it's not a technically or even dramatically uh, demanding scene. It's—it's—it's it's, it's David Denzik being dragged, you know, from a, a barber shop down an alleyway by 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 Bond, and uh, um, I think we did like two or three takes simply because I couldn't say check the gate and be done with it all. It, it yeah. was uh, right. it's one of those things where it's like I don't know what I was looking for. There was nothing additional that I needed out of that moment. We could have called it after one. It just didn't seem right. By the eighty fourth <laughs> time, Daniel was like, "Why are we still doing this?" <laughs> I think everyone was like, everyone was happy to keep it going because like, we knew yeah. we knew as soon as we said cut and check the gate. Uh, you know, the old fashioned looking for hairs in the gate and check uh, the gate. That would be it. That would be it for uh, not just the movie and all that, but. 15 years of someone's career. Wow. Carrie, this, this film has so many uh, spoilers and surprises, and uh, this has nothing to do with the specifics of them, but the, the longer that the film got delayed, you know, it's one of those movies that just kept getting pushed back to wait for theatrical. Um, did you fear that somehow, some way, you know, its secrets were going to get out? And, and how do you feel when a movie uh, is being told it's getting released in one area uh, a week ahead of, say, another area. Like, yeah. what is it like protecting the the secrets of the film? I, I think there was like some potential leaks over that year and a half, and, and I think people just kind of ignored them. I mean, uh, mm. Eon and Barbara Michael are very good at basically ignoring anything they don't want to address. You know, in terms of like Daily Mail and things like that. So, you know, I think no one really kind of gave any credence to the the stuff that was being said out there, and we had to be really careful about who was seen in different places and what actors and stuff like that. So it was, uh, you know, paparazzi had shot uh, stuff with uh, Leia and I, you know, on the, on the waterfront. 
uh, in Italy when we're shooting the, the final sequence of the film, and mm. uh, you can see cast members there. And so, you know, luckily it didn't really gain any traction. And of course, we were, um, you know, worried about what could come out because not just because you want um, things to be a secret for secret's sake, but you want people to enjoy a film and all its surprises without any expectations. I mean, it's why I love to go see movies without really knowing sometimes even what they're about. I'd rather just be surprised. And it's, there's so many people that want to kind of spoil it for the people. And that's, that's unfortunate. Hmm. But I think we Carrie, got, I was I, interested. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I just, I just think we got pretty lucky though. And so far people are being respectful and, you know, at least on my Instagram, every time people put spoilers on, I just erase it. Cause it's like, I don't want people to spoil it for the people. Yeah, yeah, very true. Okay, I'm interested in, in knowing when the title sequence is done in terms of like what you do as a director in terms of the title sequence, when that is shot. Uh, is, is, is it a day where like they, everyone comes in and does a certain thing for that shot? I was watching that great documentary and you saw him like spinning in, the, in, the, in, like, in that one crazy room. So I was wondering in terms of your direction for the title sequence, how it directs with the song, because I love Eilish's song so much, yeah. and I just I wanted to know where, what, where you're where you're yeah. Well, one just in terms of the selection of the song, I I obviously loved Billy, and and, and really um, that was the I was uh, in the um, the lobbying corner for her from the very beginning, but um, the the quality and feel of the song to me I thought it'd be great if it really meshed with what what's happening in the story at that moment. Sometimes the song doesn't feel like it has anything to do with what we've just seen or where we're going. It's a cool song, yeah. but it's like, it's, it becomes like its own little mini chapter. And I, I really thought it'd be great that everything felt seamless from start to finish in the story. And therefore, if we could go out of that moment, you know, of, mm -hmm. of uh, the end of that opening and into the song and feel like we're just continuing forward through the experience, so much mm -hmm. the better. And then in terms of the execution of it, the way it worked is, um, Danny Kleinman, who's done you know many of the opening sequences, uh, um, came with Barbara, and we just started looking at images and and, and concepts and and themes to play throughout. And he he kind of had an understanding what the movie was about, but hadn't really you know seen anything yet because we we're still shooting. Um, mm. But he knew, like for example, that there was a version at one time where we were going to push the DB5 in the water at the end of that sequence, and in the end we didn't end up shooting that, but that becomes a part of the credit sequence. What I oh, wanted to do was I wanted to go back to an analog feel to the opening. I wanted it to feel like the old kind of like 1970s and 60s versions of, of, the, of the opening credits, like uh, You Only Live Twice, Dr. No with the dots. Um, and You Only Live Twice, it's you know, like, the, like the umbrellas and the kind of the circular motifs and the kind of uh, duotone um, um, backgrounds mixed with the kind of CG uh, creations he was doing. So it had this kind of like album cover mixed with contemporary uh, CG vibe to right. it with also I asked him to put in the sort of like gate drift. So rather, and he laughed because he's like, you know, I spent <laughs> all through the 80s trying to make sure the image didn't float in the frame. And now you're asking me <laughs> to make the image float in the frame. <laughs> he's like, I can't win. Can't win. Yeah, we finally got to perfection and now no one wants perfection. So yeah. Yeah. No, but it was awesome. Uh, Carrie, Kevin mentioned that the documentary, which I think all of us loved. It was really, uh, really enlightening in a lot of ways. One of the things I did not realize was that Daniel Craig did most of Spectre with a broken leg. It was just kind of astounding just because <laughs> of how much he is determined to do these stunts himself. As a director, knowing the challenges that came before, what is the balance of like, yeah, it'd be great to have my actor actually do these stunts and it looks fantastic versus like, this could be like a serious problem for us and has been in the past. 
I mean, especially Daniel got injured in the first two weeks of shooting on, on this <clears> thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I and I, I remember the day, because I mean, Lee, Lee Morrison's an amazing stunt coordinator. So it's just, it was an unfortunate, you know, uh, event that he slipped on this like ramp because uh, it had grip tape and the shoes had grip as well. It just, whatever it was, it just, it just didn't land right. And, um, you know, which meant that any stunt we had going forward, I, I felt like a, uh, extra, like, you know, helicopter mother uh, on, on scenes, just trying to make sure that like, there's no place that Daniel get injured because Daniel's in 98% of the movie. So it's like, mm-hmm. we can't yeah. lose him, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, you know, he would do obviously his, his punch up stuff and things like that, but it's like anything where he could potentially be injured. You don't, you don't risk your actor. I mean, it's amazing, you know, the actors who do, who do do their own stunts and how that becomes kind of a, a sales point for the story. But I think the most important thing is that, that you know, when, when someone's watching it, they just don't know. Uh, Carrie, I know you've done so much press, and uh, we really, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, oh, I can't pleasure. wait for everybody to start seeing this and uh, continued success. Thanks so much for joining the Riblin Podcast. All right. Thank yeah. you, guys. We want to thank United Artists for giving us time with Carrie Fukunaga. So excited for everybody to finally get a chance to see Bond, especially here in the States. I know if we have some international listeners there's a chance you probably got a chance to uh, check it out already. We're definitely not going to get into spoilers as we continue to talk about the film uh, because there's a lot of big reveals in this and we want people to listen to this podcast beforehand and experience the movie uh, as it's meant to be. Kevin, I know you had something you want to throw in? Yeah, and one of the things that you'll that you'll notice when we get to the review aspect of it is how much focus I'm going to talk about in terms of filmmaking, in terms of what they did, in terms of just the the quality of the actual filmmaking, Lena Sangren's cinematography and all those kind of things. Um, but one of the things we didn't get to bring up in the interview, which I did bring it up in my TV interview, I know Jake and I are geeking out about it as well, is his wonder and True Detective, because I think it's episode four, I, I believe, of the series. It's a six minute wonder. It's it's one of the greatest winners I've ever seen uh, achieved. It's it's brilliant. Um, and I know we didn't get to talk about it in the interview, but I do want to mention that that's the reason why I was excited for this Bond film, because with I mean, obviously, aside from Craig, like Carrie's work on that shot. I mean, Carrie's a DP. I think Carrie also shot. I think he shot Beast uh, Beast as well. I think he shot that movie and directed. I think, I think he was so. the DP on that as well. Um, so now he's bringing in Lena Sangren, who's, you know, Chazelle's dude. Um, who did like First Man, La La Land. Um, so I just wanted to just highlight that shot. And if you haven't seen True Detective, Jake and I talk about it all the time. It's 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 a uh, it's an immersive oneer. And he said in, in my interview, basically, like the thing he learned from that shot was that he didn't he wanted to become more spontaneous on the Bond films. And there was so much planning that went into that oneer that he feels like it takes a little spontaneity out of like of like trying to do things on set. So he actually learned a lesson of like not doing something like Which that. Which I feel again. like we hear a lot, like Flanagan yeah. said after Flanagan. Like, uh, Hill House yeah. that he would never do it. It's, I feel like everyone's experience doing those massive wonders is often to never do it again. Yeah, and we love them. And then Flan- Flanagan obviously has talked about those wonders a lot. And obviously the, the, the whatever, there's four 18-minute wonders in, in episode six of Haunting of Hill House. He has a great seven-and-a-half-minute wonder, which he goes, oh, it's only seven-and-a-half minutes yeah. in Midnight Mass on the beach. Um but yeah, they're they're really hard to pull off, and filmmakers learn a lot about themselves through them. Um, but I just want people to seek that shot out if you haven't. Wait, seen no, it. no, no, it's... hold on. I'm going to bring up something too because I find this interesting. Maybe we shouldn't bring up the Wonders quite as much anymore from this perspective. When I watched True Detective, I didn't know that it was in there, and there's nothing quite as exciting when you get to a Wonder and you're about yeah. two or three minutes into it, and then you're like, okay. 
wait a second, they haven't cut away yet. Because I was really late to True Detective. I was like a couple of years behind it. I didn't have HBO at the time that it was big. And so when I finally got to watch it and that scene started playing out, you know how exciting it yeah, can be. Yeah, but I mean, but like, what are we? It. We're just not going to talk about things because That's our show. People we're a filmmaking like, show. I know. No, I understand. Yeah, you're saying like, we could it's be, we could, we could not talk about Empire Strike, the twist in Empire Strikes Back, because someday someone might see it and has, you know, like, see, like what? What, what, what is the statue what I'm trying to say? No, you know I do, but points. I also think that there's there at a certain point. Like, I, I'm glad that you were able to experience it at three years after. But at a certain point, we got to be able to talk to stuff. And if you're behind, you're behind. And, and that's yeah. the risk of Dude, that's, that's pop culture, man. Fair. If, fair. If, if Spielberg opens West Side Story with a one hour wonder, we're not going to ask him that question. He opens with a wonder. So is the, the title card hit after one hour? It, it, it's yeah. one hour hits. And he's like, there is, there, there is a movie in an interesting film called Russian Ark. I think it's 99 minutes. It's yeah. literally one shot. Yes. And what was that? It, there was a horror film that came out a few years ago. It, it was the whole um, bit was it wasn't it wasn't Elizabeth Olsen in it? Yes, but was it, it was Silent Hill? Shot or was it Silent, Silent Hill? Hill? No, Silent it's Silent Silent House, Silent Silent something. Silent Hill's a video game. Russian Ark was stitched. Silent too, House. Well, I'm sure it was no. stitched. Russian Ark Russian Ark is not stitched. It's literally a 99 minute take. They did it four times. Everything is in one shot. No stitches. Water. I got to point out too. If you want to go find Julia's uh, YouTube interview with us, because when Kevin mentions, I don't, he he just off the cuff goes, I don't know if you have a stitch in there, and she's like, Oh no, oh, no. like, she's like you know, Oh no, there's not a I stitch. She's offended. How dare you? Think she's I a have little a stitch. bit. She's a little bit surprised that you even knew to like reference the stitch, but then she was yeah. offended of like. I don't know, no, no. I think you guys read that wrong. I edited this, so I looked at this very carefully. I yeah. don't think she was offended. I think her reaction was, Oh, there wasn't a stitch, and it was really hard to not put a stitch yeah. in there like it okay. looked like she was That's like fair. oh yeah no that's, it was a tough one I agree. like we, that's we went full bore yeah and then she walks through that process i mean if people who listen to the interview they had to change the camera rig mid-shot i mean i don't understand how they pulled that off but it's an incredible wonder um dude we're, caught, we're we are a show that talks about filmmaking wonders will be here forever i'm sorry I know. They will. no 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 i'm just saying let's remember that the the audience experience is still something I like to preserve for people who, oh, we get who it, maybe don't get, you know, they, don't, they haven't seen it yet. So. You're listening to the wrong podcast. I'm yeah, hosting the wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this week, I'm going to create a new podcast called Can't Talk About It. Can't Talk About Can't It. Talk yeah. About yeah. It's just me sitting here. No <laughs> worries. <laughs> we just, is that where we get to talk about things that are embargoed vaguely? Yes. Can't talk yes. about us. <laughs> uh, there's something coming out called South of Heaven. Uh, on is it a streaming movie? I don't know anything about this. Gabe, you knew about this one. It's a limited release. It looks. Um, it, it's Jason Sudeikis, and it's like a thriller kind of uh, revenge-ish kind of movie looking thing. Oh. Um, it is utterly distracting that he does the Ted Lasso accent. And as That's someone really who weird. has seen Ted Lasso season one three times through and uh, loves every second of Ted Lasso content that we've gotten, it just kind of feels like Ted Lasso is in a movie. Like See, that sounds like, Ted, like, I like it sounds in. like the kid, not, yeah. not Jason Sudeikis doing Ted Lasso in a movie. It sounds right. like Ted Lasso got cast in a movie. <laughs> so and he's really trying to be this like That's serious. So yeah. So from that perspective, it's interesting. Um, but it didn't look very good to me. That's just the trailer, though. The trailers are not okay. But I thought it was distracting for me because he does the. Do you think does the Ted Lasso accent? And it to me, it feels like maybe reading too much into the marketing that they know that and they're kind of just like 
putting okay. it out and getting rid of it. Kind of okay. I just want to make sure that Ted Lasso still believes in South of Heaven. That's all. I, that, that's all. I, that's all I want to. That's all I want to know. Sure. The so wait, is, is South of Heaven like hell, or South of Heaven like where we are, like like the world? I haven't seen the movie, so I can't tell you. That's very deep, though. There might be a town in Louisiana called Heaven. I thought hell. I thought I thought hell when I heard that. Okay, it's definitely a yeah. It's an angry looking. uh, I wonder movie if Road to Perdition leads to South of Heaven. That's interesting. I'm sorry, it's, that's not yeah, good enough for fucking real blood. Dude, I, ju- I just gave you a lot. I said that, I said that was good. I don't. Cricket. I gave you a re- go back and watch Jesus. the video. I gave you. I gave you. I gave you a good reaction. Gabe, stay right there uh, because I'm going to mention briefly that on Disney Plus there's something called Muppets Haunted Mansion. Uh, none of us have been able to see it yet, but we know that everyone appreciates good Muppets content. So go out of your way to check out Muppets Haunted Mansion. Uh, Dirk Libby, uh, who is a Disney aficionado, specifically the parks, uh, and likes Muppets a lot too, wrote on Cinema Blend that it is a really good Muppets um, project, but he also said it's great for people who like um, the theme parks because it references the Haunted Mansion ride uh, and might be one of the closest things to, although now with Scarlett Johansson settling her lawsuit, we're going to get a Tower of Terror movie. Uh, that yeah, she's but she's gonna not. Be in. Is she going to be involved in it? I think she is. Yeah, I think, they, they kissed and made up that much. Oh, I'm did. sure. I think yeah. they did. That was yeah, all. Re- that was yeah. all lawyer speak, and like they needed to set a legal precedent. I don't think there was anything. I don't think she was calling anybody and being personally offended by it. I think it was just very much. She had a contract. And, contract was breached, and they had to. They had yeah. to figure it out. And she yeah. had every right to that money. And I, and I, I think, and I read this on Twitter today. I could be wrong. Isn't Black Widow now streaming on Disney Plus, like, genuinely? Today. I think today. Yes. Wednesday. So, for anybody listening to our show, which is coming out Friday, you can now watch Black Widow, Ooh. basically, with your subscription. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. go watch it. I'm yeah, watch it again. I, might, I, might, I might throw it on later on. That's exciting. Uh, Except so, for the third act. Yeah. Stop. It's good. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, Gabe, you saw Lamb, the A24 film. Yes. Lam- what, an in- what an interesting week. I've seen everything you guys haven't. <laughs> That's fine. That's so different. what about it? Um, Is it good? I saw it a couple weeks ago, and I have spent, not every day, but I've spent a lot of the last couple weeks trying to figure out how to describe this film. Um, it is a really interesting film. 
But I think in the end, having thought about it quite a bit, it's more simple than it may be um, on the surface seems to be. It is about uh, anyone who wants to just see it, you know, like I, I'm going to talk about what's in the trailer, so I won't spoil anything. But the trailer does give like a lot like there, I went into it without seeing it, uh, the trailer, and it was uh, interesting to see what happens. But the premise, um, which I will pitch dip now, if you plan on seeing it, and don't want to know, is this couple in uh, Iceland who live on a farm, take care of a farm. They're kind of secluded. Um, a lamb is born on their farm and it is half lamb, half human. <laughs> okay. Yes. It is as strange as it sounds. And the drama of the movie from that sort of thing is them, uh, this couple sort of getting an attachment to this. And it's Wait. sort of this metaphor for like family and love and motherhood and fatherhood and um, all these things, but it's also not like a great metaphor for all these things. I'm going to need sense. you to elaborate a little bit more on the half lamb, half human. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is it, is it literally like a, like is the person's torso up and then the lamb's so, body backwards? So the head and the right arm are lamb. Everything else is baby human. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I'm in. I'm so yeah. yes. So wow. so it's it's not it's not poorly made. It is really it is really well made. There are some effects um, that are like. Oof, that's a little that one missed you know there's some shots that they're digitally uh filled in and it doesn't look great a lot of it does look really good um numi rapace is fantastic in it um she's really fantastic in it and i kind of i haven't seen her in anything since bright actually she's been in stuff but i just haven't come across her work um and so it was a great reminder of how amazing numi rapace is because she's great in it um my only it's interesting i think it is worth seeing if you hear a24 has a horror movie starring numi rapace and you the premise of that um then yes it's worth seeing if that sounds weird to you and you're not interested in it it doesn't do anything that's like no you have to go see it uh the larger problem for me is the second act is kind of disjointed from the rest of it um it starts and it's a really interesting start i mean a baby is born and it's half lamb half human okay where are we gonna go then the middle happens and it's about that um another character gets introduced and and um this sort of family life thing goes back and forth but then by the time we get to the third act and by the time it ends, uh, it's hard to say that the middle really did much to inform the ending. It kind of feels like they had a beginning and an end, and then they put this kind of interesting family drama in the middle of it. Um, and it's okay. I think it's okay. It's, it's, a, uh, it's the director's debut. I think his name is Valdemir Johansson. Um, and it's the sort of film, it's the sort of debut that you go, okay, I'm interested to see what he does next. Like, it does enough good, it does enough interesting, but it doesn't do enough to where the, the metaphors of it feel very fleshed out. Um, it's Bergman-esque in that it's kind of surreal, but also it's hard to understand. And at first, I left thinking like, okay, maybe I just don't get it. Maybe this is based on some sort of, you know, um, Icelandic mythology or something that I'm not seeing mm -hmm. that it's pulling from. Maybe it is. I couldn't find anything on that. But I think the answer is it's, it's more simple than maybe if you leave there kind of feeling empty, which I did, um, I think it might be because it's kind of more simple than uh, you might expect it to be. It's not, it's definitely pulling from the witch and um, hereditary vibe yeah. okay. in that era of horror. Yeah. It does not do it as well. It doesn't do it as effectively, but it also kind of feels like it's doing something different. It is funny. Like you laugh at the premise and like it's, it is, there are moments of it that are funny and I feel like we're supposed to be funny. Um, and that's part of the, the strangeness of it is that it, it dips between those tones. So 
I think the filmmaker is interesting. It has enough good to it that, like I said, I, I'm interested to see what they do next more than anything, but it wasn't, um, it certainly was no Hereditary or Witch. Hmm. Uh, Which is what I think of when I think of A24 horror. Yeah, it's yeah. different. It's different. Jake, I think you will, I don't think you'll love it. Um, sure. Maybe you will. I don't, I think not, it's, I'm intrigued enough to want to see it. I'll rent it yeah. one night. I 100% think it's, it's interesting enough for your taste. Yeah. Um, and anyone yeah. who kind of feels himself aligned with Jake, it is an interesting enough movie to watch. Um, but if you feel like you're on the fence about it, I wouldn't say it's, you know, you need to see it. Sure. Does it explain why they're silent? I was, uh, I, I, I've been, I've been like twiddling say- a Silence of the Lambs <laughs> joke in my mind for the past five minutes. It just wasn't, it just wasn't ready. It wasn't ready yet. Neither was mine, but I tried it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it was great. A part of maybe this, a little bit of the disappointment is, again, I went in pretty cold because I saw, wait, A24 and farm animal based horror film. I'll probably enjoy this. Um, and so when it opened, Jake it gave, it was giving very, 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 very stiff uh, John Carpenter's The Thing vibes. Ah, and I was ah. like, I was like, oh. And I had like in my head as the opening oh. is going on, I was like, oh, I was like, is this going to be like The Thing in Iceland? Are these lambs going to like, they're going to have to, they're all secluded out here? It's not that. It's quickly not that. Um, and so maybe I was a little disappointed in that, and now someone needs to make that movie. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Right. Interesting. Uh, not quite as interesting as director uh, Fran Kranz, who, uh, oh, as, wow. Kevin, as Kevin will point out to you, uh, played the stoner character from Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Uh, and I don't really know him from much else other than that. That's the character he, I he know got, him for. He got pulled over in Training Day. Training Day. Uh, for uh, for doing drugs. Did they're, really? in, they're, yeah. in a, they're in a Beetle, right? Aren't they in a VW Beetle? Yeah. yeah, he pulls him over. Which came out he... 20 years ago yesterday. Yes, it did. Yeah, very interesting. So he has a, a film out now called Mass, and he wrote and directed this film. First time director... Uh, and it is decidedly not uh, anything that you would expect from the stoner from Cabin in the Woods. It is uh, it's a drama that's primarily set in one room uh, between four characters after it gets through a setup uh, where you where you um, are introduced to the to the situation that sets these four characters up. And it's arguably four of the best performances, I think, that we'll yeah. see for the rest of this year. And it's uh, it's Reed Bernie and Ann Dowd. The two of them play a Oof. couple. And then it's Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton. Um, now, you guys tell me, can we talk about the reason that they're together? No. And, okay. and, and, and I really want to, I, I was hoping we wouldn't because, okay. so uh, to me, this film is brilliant because it's, it's all told naturally to mm-hmm. a point where like exposition really isn't used. So for me, uh, all, all you need to know going in is it's two couples who are meeting uh, after some type of tragedy, that's okay. really all you need to know. That's yeah. fine. Um, but the, the the to me, the film is best experienced with the release of the information in the room as it happens. I agree. Um, and I I really hope that that's my experience with it. I think that's how the I think that's how they would probably tell you to watch it. Um, it is. That's the whole thing. That's the whole. And you're watching the movie. You're like, what happened? What what is going on here? Why? You know, and and, and to me, that's the unraveling of it. Um, But this but Fran Kranz, who uh, who is (laughs) this is funny. The other day I was in um, hospitality for I think I told you guys this for um, for mass. And, uh, you know, they were setting us up for the interviews. We're getting ready to go in the room. And I'm talking to one of the uh, production people from uh, from the from the production company who's running the press junket. 
And I guess he had his headphones out. And I'm like, dude, I can't believe the pothead from from Cabin in the Woods directed this movie is like because because it, it is so different. And all of a sudden I hear in the background, Cabin in the Woods. And Fran happened to be in the room and he heard my my. So he comes over to like the, the camera and he's like, dude, I was like, I was like, dude, I love Cabin in the Woods. He goes, he goes, I hope you introduced me like that in the interview when we talk. He was just, he was so That's good. Cool. Um, but he's genuinely like, so Cabin in the Woods is, you know, it's a whole nother thing. It's a, it's a, it's a masterpiece. Um, but this is, it's very shocking. This comes from him, but also here it also t- kind of shows you one thing like i looked at him as that character from cabin in the woods right that was my yeah, memory that's a performance though it's a yeah. performance yeah. right but it's still shocking that that person wrote this and directed but, this. i mean that's like um, you know someone being like oh i can't believe the guy from philadelphia was the dude from bosom buddies true 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 Similar. but but one of the things that i found interesting about this film and one of the things i talked to fran about in the interview is sydney lumet and 12 angry men um so one of the beauty I'm reading that book right now called Making Movies, where Sidney Lumet's talking about lenses and narrative and basically how the lens changes in the room in 12 Angry Men get more claustrophobic. So you start feeling tighter and tighter as you're in that room. Brands did the same thing. He was talking about these really cool lenses that he was using as the room. He gives you the space in the beginning. You, you understand the room. But as the tension gets uh, more and more, you're you're zoomed in. You're like it, it is these narrative choices of lens work plus performance um is really it's outstanding it's an outstanding film like i mean like it is it's very hard to watch um it's it's like this moral ping pong in your mind as you go back and forth as you understand what's going on with these two families and it gives a perspective on something that i hadn't ever thought about um in terms of that I think you guys know what I'm referring to, but the the other side of that. Yeah, I would and, even and, 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 yeah. and, and you know what I, I mean, and, totally. and the fam the family. Um, so that's all I'll say. I think it's best to go in cold. Um, I just found it to be heartbreaking, but also weirdly, um, the movie kind of helps helps these people in mm-hmm. a weird way, and so, us and the audience. Absolutely, yes, that's what Jake, I'll say. Jake, you think we're gonna get an Oscar? Nomination yeah, I, I out think of this uh, cast? I think Ann Dowd and Martha Plumpton are really solid. I'll be very curious to see. What do you think they're gonna? They're all going to push for supporting. How do you think they're gonna do this? That is interesting. No, I bet you that they're gonna determine that some of them are lead and some Dude, are supporting. That, how they all? They probably all have like almost uh, like number I for know. number. I know. No, it's gonna be category fraud to a certain extent because you're right. They are all four equal parts. Yeah. But why would they want to compete against each other? I mean, I don't think they have a choice. I'm sure they Didn't don't they? want to, but like they, at the end of the day, that's. I mean, but like even something like. Um, uh, Trial of Chicago Seven. They all went for. They just all went for supporting. Right, and then uh, did Alicia it? Vikander win for the Danish Girl in lead? Supporting. Oh, she wanted supporting. Yeah, she wanted supporting. Why did I? Why did I? Th- why, what, what, which I'm one fairly I certain. I'm ninety percent sure on that. Okay, um, but uh, but no, I, I agree with Kevin. And this is honestly actually one of my favorite movies so far this year, and I I've been an Ann Dowd fan for a while, so I would mm. really love. Um, she did a film. A while back, if you haven't seen it, it's a true story. I believe it's called Compliance. Oh yeah, and it With, is one of the, the most fast food restaurant. Yes, and it's one of the most uncomfortable films I've ever seen in my life. But Anne Dowd is incredible. She uh, is. and deserved an Oscar nomination for that. Um, you know, everything that Kevin said is is absolutely spot on. You know, it's interesting. I um I brought up the idea of 
uh, to the cast whenever because we all spoke with them on the same day about how much I would love to see this on stage. Mm. Yeah, and uh, and and Reed liked the idea, but Jason uh, very heatedly shot that idea down. It's and too was much. like no because no for him he said no because what the thing that that works about this movie is not just what the conversation is about or how they're delivering it, but that we get to see them like right here, like the, mm-hmm. the cameras right there. He goes, what you get out of this film, you're not going to get if you're in, you know, row 12 of the terrace seeing this on Broadway. That's you're just not going to get the same thing. It's not going to be the same effect. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, he goes in and, and that the, the quieter moments are given more uh, intimacy and he um, knows theater. I mean, he's done theater. Yeah, exactly. So which, which is why I, that. oh, and I, I, that's why I took his, I took his, uh, his, his, his word for it. Um, but it's, it's a, an incredible film. And I, whenever I tell people, you know, and this, this is such an oversimplification. So please be, forgive me for this. But like, whenever I tell people, it's basically four people in a room talking. Mm-hmm. Some people go, "Ooh, that's interesting," and some people go, "Oh, no." And I go, "Like, no," because once you sit down and go, "Oh, that's what they're talking about." Yeah, you can't turn away you just can't and the, and the release when, when the, the when the dialogue comes in naturally about what it is it mm-hmm. it's so it's just so well written it's yeah. so well executed it is i can't wait to see um, what he does next and they did a really really good job of of just emotionally helping you understand i mean i've never seen anything like that it was it yeah. was pretty pretty wild there, there was yeah. a film that that did something similar, and I think it was based on a play, I believe, a few years ago called Carnage with Christoph Waltz. And uh, Kate Winslet. Yes. And, yes, that was and, very similar. Wasn't and, it like a bullying situation? Yes, and I believe that was based on a play, but for some reason, that one, to me, that one relied a little bit too much on let's watch these people just rip into each other, and isn't it yeah. so fun watching? And this one is not about that, and it's not to say there aren't heated moments, there absolutely are. But this one is is just feels different. It feels more authentic well, in my I'll mind. I'll tell you a little, maybe why. Because Carnage, and sometimes this happens with other films, they feel like they were a play first. That's right? interesting. Yeah. So the dialogue is almost delivered that way, and yeah. maybe because Mass wasn't like the thing about Mass that I found to be most uh, impressive was how it literally felt like they filmed for ninety minutes straight, yes. yeah. and then turned to the director and was like, "Did you get it?" Yeah, because yeah. I, I kind of asked him in the junket, I was like, when did you guys know like on the day where you could stop? Because yeah. it didn't look like there's any stopping points in the conversation. Yeah. And Kev, one of the things they pointed out to me was that they filmed in that room and they were reliant on natural light because it had it's real windows. It's not a set. So they could only shoot during the day. And once it started to become nighttime, they had to stop. And then the next day, build their emotions back up to where they were the day before and continue. Oh, that's unbelievable. So, that's a, yeah, I, uh, yeah I, I asked them about the difference in how they approached the days that were more quiet and intimate and the days that were more heated. Yeah. And they said, we're going to be honest with you. There are some days where they were the same day where yeah. a morning yeah. we filmed this part of the conversation. And that just... Wow. It's it's unbelievable. It really is a testament to their acting. I feel bad that that Jason and, and Reed, from what I have read and the impression I'm getting, that they're not quite getting the buzz that Martha and uh, oh and, Jason and, has and, a scene that blows oh Jason is an incredible. Oh. They all do. They all do. Reed, his character is a little bit more distracted and kind of like I feel like Reed is unfortunately doesn't quite get, but he also has a, a moment that hammers home. There's a yep. moment where he knows statistics. 
Yes. Um, yep. Of the moment that, that in that one, mm. like every person gets a moment. It's, it's just I'm so glad that you that you guys loved it as much as I did. That really that yeah. it, it could it, be it, top ten for me. It's a powerful piece of cinema, and it, there are moments like. I'm getting the hair on my arms is standing up. Yeah, there's just talking like, about there, it. There's like a moment. There's moments with Ann Dowd and Martha that are just oh. like, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, oh. it, 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 we can't get into, if we're, we're not talking about plot, but it is so, it's two parents, yeah. right? You know, it's, it's, it's a mother and a father and something has happened and they're still parents. And it's <laughs> just, it's, it's just, it's such an interesting I've never seen anything like it. It was and very- here's here, I the, the trailer um and I, I hadn't really seen the trailer much but I will say the trailer might give away a little bit more than than you want to. I mean I if, if you're it. if you're curious to see it uh just go see it. I'm we're, I mean we're telling you it's great. We're basically giving you the premise. All all the trailer is going to do is tell you more than than you should know yeah. going in. Try not to know what's what what yeah. the tragedy. I, I didn't is. see the trailer till after I saw it. Um okay. so yeah. luckily, but I'm glad I'm glad that was the case. All right. Well, the big movie this week uh that's coming to theaters is uh not Venom anymore, unfortunately. It's Venom. probably going to knock Venom out of that top spot. Uh it is instead The Return of 007. Daniel Craig's James Bond in No Time to Die. And so because of that, we wanted to introduce uh, a special guest on this week's episode, Mike Reyes, uh, who is a senior movie contributor for Cinema Blend. Uh, But more importantly, on the website, he has taken over the James Bond beat, has carved out his niche as the expert of all things James Bond. And so, Mike, we wanted to bring you by for a No Time to Die uh, review, and then you're going to stick around to play the blend game with us. So welcome to the show, Mike Reyes. Oh, I am. I am so thankful to to be back after my cameo. It's it, it's it's brilliant, really. Good to see you, Mike. We love you, buddy. So <sighs> Kevin, Jake, Sean. Yes, my um, man. Kevin and, uh, and Jake get to see Mike in the junket rooms quite often and interact with him in the hospitality suite. Uh, they were telling me that right before you got to go into to Daniel Craig, uh, knowing how monumental that was, that the people in the hospitality suite were very excited for you. So that was cool to hear. Hey, yeah, a room full of very jaded, mean people. Just felt nothing. And and guys, tell me tell me I'm lying. That more before we even all logged in that morning, we were I think we were all collectively more excited for Mike than yeah. we were for ourselves. We were yeah, we, we were, were texting that morning. Yeah. Oh, this is so exciting for Mike. It's you know, it's just it's it was it was um yeah. it was authentic. It was authentic. It was authentic. Yeah. There is something very cool when you love a particular franchise or maybe an actor of some such, yeah. and then you get the opportunity to speak with them maybe for the first time or sure. speak with them again. So uh, we'll get into Mike's conversation with Daniel Craig a little bit later. Or in fact, if you want to watch his entire interview, it's on Cinema Blend's YouTube channel, and he's also going to be bringing No Time to Die content to the site, of course. But we're going to get into reviews, and we're going to talk about No Time to Die. Uh, we are going to keep it spoiler-free because there are some big surprises in this film. We encourage everybody to try to go out and see it as early as possible. If you feel comfortable going to the theaters and you want to see it opening weekend, so you can be part of the conversation, please do so. Uh, Mike, you are our guest. I would like to bring you on and ask you, uh, what did you think of Daniel Craig's final performance as 007? Well, since we're going spoiler-free, I won't mention the fact that we saw Q's cats, finally. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I think you couldn't have asked for a better ending to Daniel Craig's tenure as James Bond. Uh, Casino Royale was... Uh, it was the brick through the plate glass window that everybody kind of needed after 40 at that point it was around the 40 year mark of James Bond die another day was an experience 
that uh, everybody definitely had thoughts on. Mm. And it went pretty quickly from, you know, the shocking announcement that uh, Pierce Brosnan is no longer in the role to, oh, Daniel Craig. We've never heard of that. We really haven't heard of this James guy before. Blonde. They called him James Blonde. James Blonde <laughs> and then Bland. James Bland. James and Bland. That, that's, you know, that that's a perfect side note to just say, go watch Being James Bond if you haven't already. Yeah. Some of us were required to do so uh, because of the, that was one of the things they threw in the, the last minute interview uh, caveats. Yeah, homework. Yeah. So it's a wonderful 45 minute documentary. But anyway. It is great, by the way. It's yeah, a good it's, doc. Yeah, it's, yeah, you should just yeah, watch it. It's a really, really good, good doc. Yeah. Yeah. It's on Apple TV. Yeah. Is it only about Craig or is it about all yeah, of us? Yeah, it's just about Craig. Only just Craig. About Craig. That's cool. Yeah. It is Someone for... didn't watch it. And he and he and he openly admits that Quantum of Solace is bad. It's okay. great. I mean, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was really satisfying to me because that movie is terrible. But sorry, continue. They do. Uh, we'll save that for uh, later. Okay. <laughs> Review of No Time to Die. Review of No Time to Die. Just. I remember sitting there watching the gun barrel unfold and it's the first, my first thought was, wow, after all this time, it is happening. Carrie mm-hmm. Joji Fukunaga's work on this film and Phoebe Waller Bridges, Bridges work mm-hmm. are felt throughout. And there are, th- their voices are so unique that you could probably pick out which pieces they threw in. And then of course you've got, I'm hoping I'm not screwing up their names, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, who have mm-hmm. been on bond scripts since tomorrow never dies. That, collaboration turned in a film that not only plays to traditional strengths very well it also does a lot of stuff that we don't see in the Bond franchise that often mm-hmm. and you know uh, Lea Seydoux's Madeleine Swan returns and is probably the person that has gotten the closest to James Bond and that's the core of the things that happen in this movie emotionally you mean <clears throat> emotionally but also i do feel i've heard other people say this and i kind of agree no time to die is more of a james bond movie focused on james bond because typically we get different villains and Mm. the 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 common knowledge has always sort of been bond never changes but the villains change and that's what we we come into how does he deal Mm -hmm. with the villain he deals with a lot of himself in this as Mm -hmm. well as Safin, played by Rami Malek, who I think is a, a very understated and, and chilling presence in the film. But I think he almost takes kind of a backseat to Bond mm. working things out. Yeah, that makes sense, because in a way, they were allowed to, with this overarching, you know, five film narrative, uh, explore elements of Bond and his past uh, and con- connected to Madeline's past, connected to uh, Safin's past, connected through Mr. White and all these other characters that were like carryovers that in a way had some Spectre underneath it. You know, once they realized how how responsible Spectre was for all of this. And I think that that's part of the strength of the Daniel Craig run is that sometimes these random things that would happen in a one off James Bond film. And you would kind of just dismiss it as, oh, OK, well, it's, that's that's the point of this plot going forward. I thought No Time to Die had a really difficult um, task in front of it to tie up a lot of strings that were there um, from Skyfall, from Spectre, uh, going back to Casino, because they bring up Vesper and they talk about her her role in his life, basically. And none of that would hit if you didn't care about the progress that the character had been going through uh, over the course of No Time to Die. So I think that's that's a big part of the reason why I was super impressed by it, because it goes to, I think, some really emotional places that the Bond films, like like Micah's suggesting, haven't gone to before. And that 
stuff doesn't resonate if you don't care about James Bond, who is supposed to be by design a character who's really cold and aloof um, and a little bit too cool for the room sort of thing. So you're not supposed to. I don't know if I've ever emotionally attached to James Bond as a character beyond thinking that he's like, cool, right? Like, sure. Is that yeah. is that accurate? No, uh, I, that, it, it, it happened to me in, in Skyfall, though. OK. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, even reason, in Casino Royale. Yeah, because I mean, Casino Royale, but Skyfall, it's it, I always say I always say the first time I ever cried in a Nolan film was Interstellar. And so I the first time I ever really felt genuinely deep emotion and like tears for Bond was Skyfall. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I don't know why I made that jump, but it was just like and I mean that by like Nolan had movies previously that he did that didn't make me cry. But then and so did Bond. And then this that one just finally broke the ice for me in terms of no pun intended. Um, uh, it broke the ice for uh, for me to kind of be let into him and in his heart emotionally. That that movie changed everything for me. Jakey, where are you at with No Time to Die? Uh, it's it is a uh, a fairly mixed bag. Um, it's there are a lot of things about it that I absolutely adore. Uh, probably within the first twenty to thirty minutes, there there was a moment where I paused and went like, "This could be an all timer." Like I was, I mean, between the the cold open that includes a scene that feels like it's out of Halloween versus just, you know, and then, and then also you got this amazing action sequence that we've seen in the trailer a lot. Um, I think my issue with the film comes down to the fact that the foundation of it requires you to buy into his relationship with, with Madeline, mm. um, which I didn't with Spectre. And I don't particularly with this film. It just, I know Mike, it just doesn't, I him bond and Vesper. I am sold. I am in. Yeah. I believe he loved her, and I believed his heart was broken and continues to be broken. Like that, I I buy. I don't buy Bond and and Madeline, and I really think that if that relationship doesn't work for you, a lot of the things aren't going to hit you in the way that in which they're intended to hit. Which I I I, I trust me. I wish it worked for me. Uh, I really do. Um, so that's that's a problem for me. I think it works at its best when it's a Bond movie and and does Bond movie things. I think it works yeah. at its worst when it's trying to impress us by tying it all together. And look, isn't this mm. the big epic finale conclusion? And 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 whenever it's tied back to Spectre and all, you know. Um, and uh, but you know, for everything, you know, it's 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 a weird thing. You know, it's I, I, and and it, it sucks too because. It's it was super fun to to do a, a review for a movie that you love, 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 love. And sometimes it's fun to like just rip into a movie that you hate. It's not very fun to just sort of go like, ah, like that's the uh, there's something yeah there are some things I like there's some things I didn't like sometimes sure. those are the absolute worst reviews and that's unfortunately kind of where I fall on this one. It's middle it's third for me in terms of of, of Craig's Bonds. Some things I liked about it, some things I didn't. I loved a lot of the technical aspects of it. I actually think it might be Craig's best performance as Bond. Oh, um, unquestionable. And, uh, and and but I also you know so it's it's uh, it's it's I'm I'm sorry it's not a very sexy review on my part but uh, that's I'm just sort of kind of right in the middle on it. Kevin, you gonna, were there, yeah. Are you still there? Yeah. Well, my so my my point in terms of reviewing this film is so I gave it a three and a half out of five. That's my rating. Um, I gave I did a review on TV that Sean you saw. I gave a real blend shout out there. Oh yeah, that's um, awesome. That's basically my thoughts. So. I could sit here right now and rattle off so many things about this film that I love. Um, it's technically incredible from a filmmaking standpoint. Cinematography is absolutely beautiful. Shot with 65 millimeter IMAX cameras. Zimmer's score is incredible. Lashana Lynch is amazing. Anade Armas is amazing. Craig is amazing. 
Rami Malek, his performance is great. I just didn't love his character. Mm-hmm. Um, but my biggest issue with the film, uh, other than, see, it's interesting because to me, there's more in this film that I like than I dislike, but the mm-hmm. things I dislike keep it from going to the level of Skyfall or mm-hmm. Casino Royale. Skyfall and Casino Royale, I think, are two of the greatest Bond movies ever made. Um, this is third, but it's still a good Bond movie. It's better than Spectre, and it's way better than Quantum of Solace. So, like Jake said, it's always hard when you're in this middle ground with a, with a review, because my, my three and a half is, I still, I still think the film is good. It's Why just did you not, hate it? You hated the film? Why did you hate right, it? Right. That's the Why internet. Why do you hate this film? Right, that's, that's the, internet. the internet. So, but so don't like review the reaction. Don't, you know, right. don't, don't jump ahead. No, but it's, 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 it's a fascinating thing. The culture we live in now is everything has to be the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. Um, this is just a good Bond film. And I say, you know, in terms of from production value, it's what's one of the most it's the opening 20 to 30 minutes is the best opening in any Craig Bond film. Um, that spinning car action sequence, which was practically done, is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. I also love Billie Eilish's song. Um, I, the credits were cool. I didn't think they were the best Bond opening credits of all time, but the song is great. Song's so great. Stay, staying in the positive lane, it's the blend of John Barry's music with uh, it's John Barry, right? Um, I, yes. got, I, got, I got that right. John Barry, Zimmer, Eilish's themes. Um, and then when you're in the middle of an action scene, this film is firing on all, on, on all cylinders. Like the action in this film to me is what worked. So when someone asks me, is it worth seeing? I'm like, hell yeah, because like there is some incredible action in this film. Um, my biggest issue with the film, like Jake said, is I it was more invested in Vesper than I was that I am in Leia Sadu's character, Madeline. Um, so some of those emotional beats don't hit me as hard. Um, so that that becomes a little bit of a numbing element. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, Rami Malek, as much as I love his performance, he's great in the film. I just don't think the villain was as memorable as like a Javier or a Mads Mikkelsen, um, mm-hmm. just in terms of like what they did. But that being said, there the, the Ana de Armas scene, the opening scene, Lashana Lynch's performance, the action sequences, the uh, almost like video game Goldeneye esque type thing that happened, like what they do with like the sh- like like the way they, they play around with um just the way the cinematography works. There's so much to like, and like that's why Sean, when you watch my review, it's like I can go through all this stuff that I love, and sure. there's just a f- then there's things I just didn't love. So it's interesting because I asked the cast. I asked the whole cast, basically, like, one day these films will be, as I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, these will be classic Bond films. Classic, I mean, when I say classic, I mean, like, they're going to be, like, the older Bonds. You're going to be, Craig's going to be, like, you're going to be watching a Bond movie with Craig like you're watching Connery now. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's an older classic Bond. But I will say, because of what this film does, in terms of pushing... Uh, conversations forward. Uh, I, I think there are things in this film that have changed the Bond franchise for the better. And I think that because of the nature of what happens in this movie, it inherently has to be a classic Bond. Mm. It's, it does a lot of things for the first time ever in yeah, a Bond movie. Which we can't talk about. So, Which we can't <laughs> talk about. So that's why I still use the word classic. Because to me, like... It has it's worth seeing in a theater. It's it's too long. Unfortunately, it's two hours and 45 minutes or so. Um, I wish they would have cut it down a little bit. The plots a little is way too convoluted. So it's interesting. Like Jake said, it's like a, it's a it's a it's it's a hard movie to review because I liked it. And I think it's a good Bond film, 
but I did, it's not Skyfall, it's not Casino Royale. I will okay. say that I love that Mike loves it. That makes me very happy. Oh, well, I haven't got a chance to go yet also. You want like to talk too? I would like to weigh in very briefly. I fucking love this movie. It's outstanding. Fuck yeah! It's it is. good. It's it's good. No, no, you had it's, your chance, Mr. Good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> fantastic. It is. It, I'm with Mike. I'm with Mike in the fact that it is everything that I wanted the comp- the closure of Daniel Craig's run to be. Um, I put it on. I think Casino is his best. I think Skyfall is right behind it by a sliver. I mean, honestly, they're 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 neck and neck. They're they're there. And then I think No Time to Die is just behind them with then Quantum and Sky- uh, well, Spectre is a little bit better than I remembered. Um, this was, I, I said this, um, and it's random to say, it's like a weird statement about it, but to me, it's it's the first real 007 movie that Daniel Craig got to be part of. Mike, is it not a running theme in Daniel Craig's movies that like he's not, he's always been like, He's either uh, discharged or uh, he or M is uh, essentially like suspending him from duty. It feels like he's constantly being kicked out of the organization and never actually able to be a specific spy. And even in this one, he's not even a double O. He's like a recruited by the CIA to compete, compete the mission. I'm like, he's never been bond. You know, he never gets to be like double O seven traditionally. That's kind of a running joke with him. Well, in the classic run, there have been a handful of times that he quits, you know, he quits at the end of Honor Majesty's Secret Service to go have a life. Uh, he quits for revenge and license to kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is definitely sort of a, a running thread every now and then he drops the job and just goes out there for revenge. But I think one of the defining characteristics of Craig's era is Bond is constantly quitting or going rogue. Mm-hmm. Like he's ready to resign for Vesper at the end of Casino Royale. He's technically on a rogue mission in Quantum of Solace to the point where he runs against the CIA. Yeah. Uh, Skyfall, he dies and then fails all of his examinations and is like, I'm just going to drink with scorpions and have fun. And (laughs) oh, wait, now it's getting serious. I got to come back. Yeah. And even at the end of Spectre, he's been on the job and it's like, okay, he starts out rogue and then drives off happily, and that's yes. almost where it ended. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's right. They almost didn't get him back for that for the next one. I wonder where the Dan- I would love to know where the Danny Boyle plot was going to go. I need that too. I, yeah, I want to know that too. That would have been fantastic. But um, I, I did yeah. ask Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson about it. Okay. And they didn't go too much. They didn't really go into detail. But they said that he's a great filmmaker. Uh, I think they basically just admitted it was creative differences and. Sure. I mean, this is just all secondhand. I'm still, I'm still sifting through all of this, like accepting that it happened. Yeah. And they're basically like, you know, nothing ever really goes terribly unused in, in the series. And they kept uh, Mark Till- Tillisley, the production designer from the Boyle incarnation. And even in interviews, he said, I'm still revving Barbara up to get Danny back because I think he'd be amazing with this. I still, yeah, I think he would be great too. You, you, you said No Time to Die was like the closest you'd seen to like a Bond movie. Yes. Um, so like what I, I, I wanted you to just expand on that just a little bit because I found that interesting because um, Daniel Craig never really got an opportunity to um, he had some gadgets, but not to the extent that he has in this, like even the car with the smoke and the bullets coming out of the like he, Daniel Craig never relied on that stuff in, in his previous movies uh, up until that point. There's a gag with a watch. Um <laughs> 
and a pun that follows <laughs> that to me is that's very of the formula of Love James that. Bond. And I don't think Craig got the ability to fully live in that type of Bond movie until this one, because I think prior to they were always sending him down this path of him personally trying to figure out who he is. And that's an interesting story. I think that's a compelling arc to put him on. And no one had done that with Bond before. And so I like that they did it. But when he got to this one, like there's a lair, you know, for for the villain to be in. Um, and that's cool. That's a cool Bond thing. And um, yeah, so I, I just think he got to do a couple of things that you don't normally get. Uh, and they were staples of the Bond franchise. And in a way, the Craig ones got rid of all those. And I think when they did, it was time to get rid of all those. You know, they they were overdoing it in the in the Brosnan ones. But it was good that Craig got a chance to do that a bit. So I was really happy to see him pull off a lot of those. And the puns. Kev, you mentioned the puns. Like, but Bond is puns. He's supposed to be. The puns are like the puns are another reason why another positive to add to the review because yeah. the puns are wonderful and they're wonderful. They're so they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're so good. I'm at a four and a half out of five. My full review is on Cinema Blend. Um, so go over there and check it out because we're going to get over to the blend game uh, and I'm going to let Mike go first. So this is uh, James Bond blend. We are talking about our absolute favorite uh, James Bond films. And I think Mike has probably seen all of the Bond films more than any of us have combined. So this is this is going to be a really special pick. Uh, you know, having a visitor, we allow you to go first. So kick us off, Mike, with your choice for uh, your absolute favorite James Bond movie. I gave it a lot of thought. And it is definitely hard because every Bond, I can pick my favorite from every Bond. But Honor Majesty's Secret Service is a film that is near and dear to my heart personally, but also as a film, you, you got to go back to, to when this came out. This is 1969. Sean Connery's gone. No one knows who George Lazenby is. He's an Australian model who's bring it, brought in to play uh, his first acting role. This is basically the equivalent of, oh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. just, oh, no, no, even better. Chris Evans just does Captain America. We're going to bring in... If Anthony, if no one knew Anthony Mackie and oh, they brought boy. him in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what right. this is. This is post Endgame. Like, you only live twice. Bond supposedly beats Blofeld. And, you know, that's Sean Connery's like, I'm peacing out. The expectations and the reaction to that film break my heart because it was probably at the time the most divisive James Bond movie. Can you imagine? I think No Time to Die is going to be the next one because mm -hmm. it's just at this point where. Yeah. History built the Bond franchise into what it was. And even in 69, it was a juggernaut. So some of the shots in that film are, are so beautiful that Kevin, uh, have you, Kevin, have you seen Under Majesty's Secret Service? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I've seen I've seen the major ones. There are a few that I haven't seen. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've seen all 25 Bonds, but I, mm -hmm. I but I've seen the I've seen the, the, the big ones. Yes. The helicopter shot when yeah. Bond and Draco are ready to, are storming Peace Gloria. And it's that beautiful sunset or sunrise. Yeah. I forget if it was sunrise, sunrise or sunset. There's just gorgeous images in this film that even even today, it's like. Wow. And George Lazenby and Diana Riggs chemistry is amazing. Telly Savalas plays a, a fantastic Blofeld that isn't the type that gets lampooned by Mike Myers 30 years down the line. Yeah. Like he's more charming than a Blofeld should be. And 
again, John Barry hits on all cylinders. He brings that beautiful theme in the Louis Armstrong song. We have all the time in the world was just it, the, the first Bond film that I knew of that had two themes. It had its oh, own love theme. <laughs> That's and interesting. Just hearing that come back in this film, it it, it pleased me to know that Kerry Joji Fukunaga and and everyone basically appreciated that film enough to reference it now. And he even mentioned uh, when I spoke to him, he's like, uh, I would we watched a lot of them for. Uh, I triple watched them for, you know, research and that one just really landed with them. So yeah, could, yeah. yeah. it's, it's fingerprints are all over. That's no so fascinating. I, I gotta it's be honest. Over. I would have lost a bet in terms of what I would yeah. have expected you to pick. And oh. it's the only one that in the classic run, there is a, if you wanted to, there is a loose continuity because you go through all five Connery movies, jump to honor magic to secret service yeah. Diamonds oh. of Forever is a complete insult because it forgets the film even exists and throws in a money penny gag about an engagement ring. But then after Honor Majesty's Secret Service, you go to For Your Eyes Only, License to Kill, and then to a certain extent, Tomorrow Never Dies, which is an underrated Pierce Brosnan film, You Heathens. Mm. <laughs> because that touches on the theme of him being afraid to get close to someone with okay. him and Terry Hatcher being uh, a broken couple. And okay. yeah, but what was the one with Denise Richards? The world is not enough. Yeah, that's not a good one. It's not die another day. That's my and I one. still like world is not enough because the things they do with Sophie Marceau's character. Okay. Are very crucial to where they would eventually go. Wow. Right. Plus, right, that was enough. the first time we really saw Bond and M get close as like fa- mother son. Yeah. Like, the old M was always at arm's length and was like, oh, well, here's your, here's your mission, Double F7. You go and, oh, I'm going to get mad that you've done something that I told you not to do. Of course. Whereas... Like, I, I don't know as much, <laughs> clearly do not know nearly as much about the Bond uh, sort of just franchise from the beginning. You know, my, my, my knowledge of it is fairly loose in terms of I can guarantee you I have not even seen every single Bond movie. I can guarantee you that. Um, is there a, a, a really solid book out there that, that kind of is, is, you know, the all-encapsuling history of, that, you know, that's not, okay, there's not 500 pages. Is there, like, a really solid Bond book you would recommend? Or you there's, should write one. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, well, I, 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 I kind of want to write a book about the, the Daniel Craig era. You should. You, know, you should. That whole thing, but... God, I can't handle more real-blood people writing books. <laughs> yeah, Jesus don't Christ, give away your like ideas. A... This, that's free gold. <laughs> don't do that. One of these two will snatch it, snatch it up, and run with it. Writing a book about. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Send Note tweet. to self. Send tweet. <laughs> hey, it's there's already a book that I know of a couple books that were reference points both when I was growing up and also reference points that are out there now. There's one book called Some Kind of Hero: The Remarkable Story of the James Bond Films by Matthew Field and A.J. Chowdhury. I want to say, I, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. And Mr. Chowdhury, if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, I'm sorry. He's a loyal listener. But that is one that they've updated <laughs> frequently that includes uh, the Daniel Craig era. And I think they might do another update after this. Love it. And then there's like uh, a, D, a Doreen Kingsley book that I remember reading as a kid. And there's several Greg Williams photography books that are amazing. I have uh, the Spectre and Quantum of Solace ones back here. Even Mark Eidlitz put out this really good one, The Lost Adventures of James Bond, where he talks about what could have been Dalton's third and fourth movies, along with all this other lost media that has been, you know, we has not been recovered. 
That's cool. That's right. Cool. But seriously, no joke. You actually really should write a book. Jakey, uh, <laughs> go with your pick. Where are you at? Uh, my pick, I think, is Kevin's pick too. Sorry, Kevin. I don't mean to. Re- I don't want to preemptively reveal yours. But well, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Here's what I'm saying. Mine is Skyfall. Um, and I know it's sort of Ke- like. Well, is it Kevin's well, as well? Because you guys yeah. can just double up. I'm, I'm not well, sure. I'm just going to simply say it's Skyfall because I want Sean and, and Jake to get more time on that. But uh, but yes, yeah, Skyfall is my favorite Bond movie. It's it's a, it's a masterpiece. It's the best Bond movie I've seen. Um, and it's a, it's part of the reason why I think these films will be classics. These will be a classic era, obviously, of Bond with having that. But Jake. Yeah. So, but for me, it's it's just a matter of, of I think it's a technical marvel. I mean, there's nothing I can say about Roger Deakins cinematography that hasn't already been said. It, I think it is the. Of what I've seen from the Bond franchise, I think it is the most beautiful of of the films. Um, I also love, I also love the simplicity of it. I you know it as 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 uh, complicated as something like Spectre or even No Time to Die, and even to a lesser degree, even Casino Royale can get. I love how simple Skyfall is. Like Skyfall is a, an agent who was wronged and wants revenge on M. And it kind of turns into this really cool Bond doing Home Alone final act, which I absolutely love. It really gave us this like backstory in Bond that, that I never knew I, I always wanted. Like I was really intrigued by that, this idea of of who James Bond was as a child. Um, and, uh, you know, there is a degree of darkness to it. It's um, I, I know this expression is, is so overused these days to describe any film that has to do with darkness. But it really is, especially in terms of, of the, the Craig era, it's kind of like the Empire Strikes Back of of the Craig era, you know, and which is catnip for me. Any, any, any film within a series that is referred to as The Empire Strikes Back, whether it's Infinity War or Skyfall, I'm like, yep, that's, that's probably the one I'm going to like the most. Um, I love the darkness to it. I love the coldness to it. I love the brutality, but also like a real heart to it. You know, the, the, I, I still get emotional uh, when, uh, when, when Judy Dench passes. And it's an incredible performance. And also, I think Javier Bardem deserved an Oscar nomination uh, as Silva. Like his, his like I love Javier Bardem and and I know this again is an overuse for like he to me he just disappears into that part and it's so sinister and he's so, he just kind of slinks like a cat but I all like he's he's elegant but also you just know that in in a moment he could just like snap and turn around and kill someone his um, introduction I, speech is one oh, of the best scenes about the, about the rats it's just it's, yes. it's phenomenal but like it's the so elegance great. and how he delivers that speech mm-hmm. but then also 10 minutes later when he turns around and, and shoots the woman yeah um it's just that swing to me is terrifying i think yeah. he is one of the most terrifying bond villains who i buy from an intellectual, because sometimes a Bond villain, you look at them and you go, oh, like they're very smart and they got a whole plan, but like they ain't kicking Bond's ass. Bond, Bond's going <laughs> to kick their ass. And on the flip side of that, sometimes a Bond villain, you know, like a Dave Bautista is mostly like used for the muscle. Yeah. Silva is right there in the middle. They have henchmen. Yes, exactly. Formula. Henchmen, yes. Henchmen. I feel like Silva is both brilliant and can come up with these plans, but also like can physically go toe to toe with James Bond, which to me makes him just a... Like Chef's Kiss, quintessential. Everything okay. about Skyfall, I love. I haven't seen Skyfall in its entirety in a long time. Do, do they ever fight? Do he and he and Silva fight in the end. Of the, in the end of the movie, there's a pursuit. Yeah, there's and a pursuit. Yeah, he eventually gets him. He gets the drop on him, but there isn't really a hand to hand fight. Ah, uh, that's a missed opportunity. I would like to have seen that. Yeah, but at the same time, I did like how they they pulled that whole last act off and just putting more importance on M too. Like that was, she was, she was the bond woman in that movie. 
I, I will add one thing in that documentary, the being James Bond documentary. Um, there's a great uh, moment of Sam Mendes behind the camera filming Judy Dench's death scene. Oh, and it's like a, it's like a really special moment because he starts crying during it. And it's like that's the moment where like you're watching a Bond fan like cm die it's right. like a really in and like he it, it, that to me it was like it just gave me a lot more respect for mendez as a filmmaker i mean i already loved him as a director but like that dude cares man like that was really cool to see that i mean skyfall i mean that the the, the blue silhouette fight scene alone that's that's all i have to say that was also one of two times that barbara broccoli really got emotional with the mm. whole process yeah, it's M's death. I, I love that line. There's a line in the documentary that Mike was talking about where uh, the studio wanted them to cut out the uh, the line where Craig, you know, where Silva rubs the inside of Bond's leg and says something about the first time, and then Craig responds with, "What makes you think this is my first time?" Which is a great line, and apparently the studio wanted them to cut that out, and apparently Barbara Broccoli was like, "No, leave that in." And of course, it's now this great line because it, you know, just adds so many layers to the character. Yeah. She and her half brother, Michael G. Wilson, are one of the best teams to run a franchise, to have hold court over a franchise, and they have an iron grip on this to the point where Am- I'm one really wondering how Amazon is going to. I wonder if they even thought of, really thought about that when they bought MGM because it's like, yeah, we could do Pink Panther, we could do Rocky, but what about Bond? Oh, oh yeah, oh okay, <laughs> we're not allowed because to do anything with that <laughs> dialogue, <laughs> casting, even product placement. It's like all. Oh, them and they stood fast when it came to streamers offering basically yeah i heard the high end of 800 million which is basically if if they hadn't delayed that long that probably would have been okay we're close to specter we just need to make a little more but i mean it's putting up good numbers right now Pre-sales yeah. are apparently out. Uh, pre-sales outpaced uh, Venom and F9. Oh, after I give my pick, Kev, we were going to do predictions, aren't we? Yes. I definitely want to yes. get to the point where we do predictions for what we think it's going to do for opening weekend. Um, I have to go in a completely different direction, and I want to acknowledge the fact that, that Daniel Craig is my favorite Bond, and I think Casino Royale is... Um, I think that was the type of Bond movie that we needed at that time. It needed to strip everything away and need to reset Bond back to square one. However, if you ask me to to pick a movie that best represents a James Bond movie, I think you have to go with one that has all the the cliches, right? Like I, I want to see the the mustache twirling villain. I want to hear the bad puns. Um, and so for me, I'm going with Goldfinger. Goldfinger is a quintessential James Bond film. We we um, talk about like the like if like aliens landed, what would you show them? Yes. We would have to like I, if aliens landed and they said, what is James Bond? I wouldn't put Skyfall in front of them. I would put Goldfinger in front of them. You have to. Yeah, yeah. because Skyfall was great for what it did for Craig's interpretation. Sure. But but in a, in, a, in a sense, I do love an element of Bond where we don't know anything about him, you know, where he is just this blunt, blunt instrument, the way that he's described in Casino Royale or the right tool for the job kind of thing. Um, there's a character in in Goldfinger called Pussy Galore. Like, that's the most James Bond name ever. You know, like <laughs> you can only get away with that in a James Bond movie. That's what causes the Austin Powers uh, uh, <laughs> spoof, basically. Um, it's Connery, who in his third film has finally figured it out. Uh, you know, he he really does understand how to play him. Not that he was bad in Dr. No or From Russia With Love in any way, shape or form. He was just he was just making the character fit him, essentially. Well, that's the theory that you get to your third movie. That's the one where it really 
they say your third one's your best one. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably fair. Unless you're um, Pierce Brosnan. And one of the things that I was blown away yeah. by with this is it was the first time I think, and and I think Roger Moore got a few more of these. But was that it? That does, that's his first adventure, like in the states, isn't it? Because it was like Fort Knox was the conclusion, and yeah. it it. It, it never struck me that James Bond could be in the United States. He seems like such a British character to me that when I finally got to see him doing an adventure, like in some place that seemed relatable, you know, and close to us, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It made him more human to me as a character. So, uh, yeah, I'm and he gonna... starts the film proper in M- Miami. Oh, right. Yes, exactly. Dude, that's, exactly. That's, wow. James yeah. Bond and Miami are like two things that don't feel like they should go together. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's get to audience picks. Oh, uh, let's do predictions really fast. What do we think okay. that No Time to Die uh, is going to make over the course of its opening weekend? Uh, start with uh, Jake Hamilton. I, no Bond movies ever cracked 100. Oh, there, really? Yeah. There, There is a, I believe the highest is Skyfall. 88. Yep. Which is 88. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I have, I really, I know everyone keeps talking triple digits. Not That's interesting. But I have a and because no bonds ever cracked a hundred, and it is so long. It's I'm, long. I'm really kind of hedging my bets a little bit, and I'm going to say somewhere between ninety and ninety-five. Okay, Gabe, you're writing these down. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I, totally. I, think, I was uh, I was hundred yeah. percent writing these down the whole right. time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kevin, what do you think? So I think it's going to go over 100 for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there is so much anticipation for this film. If Venom 2 can do $90 million, why can't Bond do over 100? Venom 2 is 90 minutes long. Jake's right the length. I get that, but I think there's going to be a lot of theaters running Bond in multiple theaters. Again, it'll be be interesting to see. Kevin's right, the theaters. Yeah, but you don't think that they were with Venom? Oh, I'm sure they were, but I believe they'll probably go out more out of their way to Jake's make right sure screens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but no, Kevin I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to discount how much people. I'm just talking. I'm thinking about like. I think Bond will have longer legs than Venom, but mm. I think logistically speaking, Venom's a symbiote, it's though. just Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I, I Kevin, what, what's your dollar amount? What do you say? I'm okay. So just based on how it's done overseas, based on oh, this is the final one. That's right. Based on the legacy aspect of it, and based on the fact that this movie has major major spoilers in it and people are saying go see it now Kevin's right um i i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna be a little adventurous here i'm gonna go 125 oh my all right and i and i i I, i'm pretty sure it's gonna be too high but i'm feeling i'm feeling a 125 million opening for this okay i'm gonna split the difference and i'm gonna say 110 i think it does higher than 90 um i i do think um it's gonna pull out an audience that has been waiting to go back to the theater and didn't necessarily go back for Venom, um, but is going to turn out for this one. Kevin, I think you're right. It's the spoiler aspect. I think people know that it's a big deal. Yeah, it's and a they big don't want to get it ruined. So I'm going one ten. I think you're probably right. I think you're. Pro- I think I'm on the low end. I think Kevin's a little high. I think. I think if we're Goldilocksing this thing, I think. Uh, I think Sean's. Mike Reyes, right bring us home. I'd say between 95 and 105. And one aspect that I'm definitely throwing in here is this is the most extensively formatted bond we're getting. IMAX is no stranger because they've been doing that since Skyfall. However, 3D, 3D, which it's it's in 3D, which Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson say looks fantastic. 
And even yeah, what are they gonna say? They're not gonna say it looks like shit. <laughs> Imagine they did. How's a three D look? <laughs> I, well, I've, I'm seeing it. On, I'm, I'm gonna be seeing it on three D. Uh, how have I so, not heard that it's in three D? It's yeah. the first time that they've are done they it. Are they releasing it's, it in two thousand eight? <laughs> well, they're releasing it in more theaters than Venom did in 3D. Because Mike, did they do post conversion? Venom's in yes. 3D. Yeah, post conversion. Yes, because, 3D. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I even asked. Wait, where are these 3D movies at? Like, I don't. I go to this okay. theater and I don't. Oh, I don't you see, like, you've hit another thread. Of... Mike, Mike is also our 3D expert. 3D yes. has been woefully underserved as of late because it took me a lot to find. A, 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 I belong to a certain membership program. I will not name names. Spectre. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, what is this, like, the Da Vinci Code? Like, you guys, like, Besides wear hoods that. and, like, what, what, 3D glasses? I belong to a certain, I belong to a certain theater's rewards program slash oh, okay. subscription service. Oh, God. He's Where, protecting our, our um, sponsors good, that don't exist call. in case we... Good if they're even a sponsor that we've worked with. But I had to drive 45 minutes to see Free Guy in 3D. I had to go like they and and the same chain closed the closest IMAX to me, which also had seventy millimeter projection and Dolby. Yes, Kevin, we're going to take this. Kevin, we're taking this theater back. It's a twenty four screener on a beautiful location with a pond behind it. But anyway, dude, three D, IMAX, D box, four DX, like all these formats were announced as being part of the onslaught, and I'm betting that they did it because. The novelty, the mm. opening weekend, and I, yeah, it's just I think ninety five to one hundred five because there's so many different ways to get money out of the the tickets, and That's I can't it. wait for the. 3D. I just bought my ticket to Finch in three D. Kev, do you know <laughs> uh, the ideal uh, format that Carrie Fukunaga would like you to go see this movie in? <laughs> True 3D detective. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's not oh, bad. That's Ice Max. Really that's actually that's probably better than what I have. Mike, wait, do you know the, it? Ice Max. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Ice nope. Max. <laughs> that's, like, that's pretty. That's pretty good. That's not what I had. Format that Fukunaga. Yes. I was really excited about mine. Yours is good. I should. I should have gone with that. I, I actually don't know. True three detective. No time to die, Max. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> That's great. Thank I, you. I actually think they should use that in the marketing. They I should. I'm not. I'm not even kidding. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. All right. No time to picks. die, Max. Uh, Paul Marsh, Todd, Ignacio Borges, and many others went with Casino Royale for their favorite James Bond film. Synonymous Bosch. <laughs> That's a great name. Synonymous Bosch. Uh, said Goldeneye. Michael Breen says On Her Majesty's Secret Service, agreeing with Mike Reyes. Uh, Be Kind, Harry Lichtman, and many others went with Skyfall. Okay, so for next week, your blend game assignment is hashtag supernatural movie blend Ooh. we're going to be discussing supernatural movies uh, and I guess we'll get into the definition of that uh, in next week's show because that's kind of open it's open you, for interpretation you can go a lot of different directions uh, you can play along on social media using hashtag supernatural very, movie blend very straightforward or you can uh, email us at realblend.com what yeah I guess you're I guess you're probably before we move on to this week's review, Mike, thank you so much for joining us to discuss No Time to Die. Mike Tell Reyes! the people you need a song. Tell all the people where they Mike can read your fantastic Reyes. James Bond Mike, content. Mike Reyes. Well, it's funny because I, I work for a website called Cinema Blend. You that do? I, I have talked about on the internet, and uh, I'm apparently the James Bond expert. Um, they, they gave me that wonderful 
distinction. Uh, it's much better than being the Snyder Cut expert, I can tell you that. Oh, that's the truth. (laughs) (laughs) His social media people are much nicer to him. Um, well, it depends on what I say, but, uh, you can find me on social media at Mr. Controversy 83. Uh, again, on Cinema Blend, you will find, uh, my James Bond content. Uh, mm-hmm. by the time this show goes out, I should have the deep dives for Spectre and No Time to Die's endings because I've been going through the Craig era one by one and sort of looking at how things are set up through those films and where the endings kind of connect. And... Yeah, I mean, and uh, no, two uh, three D, a two three D to to weigh yes. in on how it plays. Uh, the No Time to Die plays in in three D. So, and then maybe something with IMAX because I I want to head out to that too. That sounds terrific, Mike. Thanks for joining us, brother. We'll see you soon. Have Thank you, one, Mike. Thanks, buddy. That was awesome having Mike on. It's nice to have a, a Bond aficionado, and uh, God, he knows more. He knows so it's much insane. about the old Bond films. It's fascinating. You're right. He totally should write a book about yeah, yeah, absolutely. About the Daniel Craig movies. Um, let's get to this week's review. It came to us via RealBlend at CinemaBlend.com. Uh, it comes from Robert Hillier, and he said, "The last time I reviewed, I complimented and roasted each of you for various opinions. This oh, one, I however, love that one that was great. This <laughs> this one, however, is far more personal." Kevin, I've been struggling with OCD for almost five years now, and I've just recently been formally diagnosed with it and been able to get on medicine. The last three months have been very difficult to get through because of it, as it has flared up severely. Your openness on social media and on the show about this being a struggle for you has been so encouraging for me to hear. Seeing someone who is so good at their job despite struggling with such a difficult condition has been such an encouragement for me that I can be successful both in grad school and in my vocation. Thank you for being so open in such a public platform and letting others know that they are not alone and that we can all get through this together. I'm genuinely thankful for this show and I'm praying for you during this time. Fast and Furious rules and Hubie, he put for mm. both of those. So, yeah. uh, Kev, that's, I think it's fantastic. You were mentioning how you were getting some really great response uh, from people yeah. in general after you put yourself out there and from the Real Blend family uh, in particular, too. So, these types of reviews have been fantastic. Yeah, and I, I was actually, and I emailed Robert and thanked him for that, uh, uh, obviously that email. I mean, it meant a lot to me. And and, and that's the thing, I, I, I've been saying this a lot recently. It's like, I, I don't talk about mental health and depression and anxiety for any type of sympathy or anything like that. It's, 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 it's because I feel like it should be talked about more mm-hmm. because so many people are going through it. And like the messages I've gotten from people who are going through similar exact things um, and like that, like and like he said in the in the review, uh, when you see somebody doing something that maybe you want to do, but they also have something that you have, um, you know, it, mental health is a real thing. And I'm just happy that we're talking about it more. I, and when I was because I was in high school or college or whatever, I didn't it was I was embarrassed to tell people like that I was having anxieties about these certain things. Now I feel a little better about talking about them. And also movies are becoming better about destigmatizing mental health. And, and I look, think that's look at becoming, Ted Lasso. Right. And and it's exactly what I'm saying is like, Mm -hmm. we're, I'm so happy we're living in a time where this conversation is, is able to have, because at the end of the day, I have a great life. You know, I'm, I have a beautiful wife, beautiful home, great job. Uh, I just have a chemical imbalance in my brain. Terrific friends. Terrific friends. I do. I just have some friends. (laughs) I just have a chemical imbalance in my brain. It's, it's something I was, I was born with. I've, I've had it all my life and, uh, it, and it's just a daily struggle. And, uh, and I'm not saying it to complain. It's just something that I deal with. So I appreciate the fact that people resonate with it and, and, uh, shout out to Sean and Jake and Gabe 
who have been on the receiving end of a lot of my OCD and a lot of my anxiety and a lot of my depression. Um, and thank you to you guys because uh, uh, you're obviously truly best friends because, uh, I mean, I can't believe you guys haven't like, hate, don't hate me because I have like, because I've already, I, already, I, 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 I worry so much and like say stuff all the time. So I appreciate y'all putting up with it. So wow. Sean, this feels best. like a bad time to tell him that he's fired from real blood. <laughs> yeah. 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 Next week. Uh, all right. I'll send that email tomorrow morning. All right. Just text me. Our next premium episode, uh, we're going to be playing the IMDB game. Uh, and yes. again, you get access to all of this. Uh, oh, did we play that one already? We recorded it. Yeah. Yes. I'll give you a little a little tease. I did horribly. <laughs> I did really bad. Uh, you can get uh, more information on the premium episodes at cinemablend.com backslash realblendpremium. Throughout the course of the week, you can follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and the show is at Real Blend. We'll talk to you guys next week with new interviews, new conversations, and uh, a whole lot more fun. Until then... Ready Player One! Ooh. Ready Player One as well. Bridge of Spies! <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.